Welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs show, a safe place for women to heal and grow, where we discover our value, share our tears as we go through the hard times and rise up as we become empowered to meet our challenges head on. When it comes to the courts, it is so important to learn how to put your best foot forward. Whether you're seeking help from the court in doing something like creating a personal protection order for yourself or for your children, or perhaps you are seeking help from the court with custody orders to protect your children from an abusive partner, you want to have the best odds at getting the right support from the courts that you need to be able to put forward arguments based on fact and not based on feelings. And that is one of those things that is so much easier said than done when you're in that situation. There is so much that we don't know that we want to know right away when we're going through these things. There's so much uncertainty. So we want to try to get control of what we're going through and the outcome. So this time is really fraught and really emotionally charged. There are so many considerations. Things like how long will this custody case go on and how much money at the end of the day is this going to cost? Will the kids be negatively affected by this custody battle? Because how hard is it to just keep it together and stay consistent and not lose yourself when you're going through so much pressure? It's really hard. There is so much to actually think about. It's costly, it's risky, and it's completely anxiety provoking. But if you're looking for support around this area, then you are definitely in the right place and you are listening to the right episode today. So my guest today, Renee Rodriguez, is someone who has been through her own forensics evaluation in a custody battle. She used her years of expertise and quick understanding and assessment to create a really well-organized body of evidence using categorized templates to provide documentation which helped the court to get a clear picture of the tenor of the co-parenting relationship that she was in. So these templates that Renee created went on to become widely requested and used by others. And her advice and the story of her experience soon became of help to others who were scared, feeling hopeless and helped them to become confident and noble warriors in their own causes. So today, Renee shares her own experiences as someone who was in a relationship with someone who is very narcissistic and how what she learned has helped her to create a resource to help others like her to navigate the courts and be equipped to present their best case and put their best foot forward. You will be absolutely amazed at the wealth of information that is shared in this interview. 
Okay, let's open the door on today's conversation. I'd like to ask you who you think the hero of this podcast is. I want to tell you the hero is not me. And the hero, as fantastic and amazing as the guests that I have on Tiara's Tears and Triumphs are, they're also not the hero of the podcast. The real hero of the podcast is you. It's you and your transformational journey. It's that engagement that you have as you stand up and you fight for your life. You fight to strive to have the life that you want to live. You make the change you make it happen and you can and I want you to know that and hold your head high knowing every time that you show up and you listen to another episode that's you being a hero just a caution if you feel unsafe at any time please stop listening You can come back anytime you are in a safe place to listen to the rest of the podcast. Your safety is the most important thing to consider. Hello, Renee, and a very warm welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast. Thanks so much for coming on today to be a guest. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with you. And I think we're going to go to a place that's going to be really helpful for a lot of listeners who are parents and um, and they are perhaps either dealing with the stress and strain of going through custody um, battles in through the courts Um or perhaps they're just, you know, that's something that is on the cards for them and um, and they're wondering how on earth they're going to negotiate that and it's a really fearful and daunting um, process. And the reason that we're having this conversation about this topic today is because this is something that you are very, very familiar with um, through your own experience. So, uh, Renee if I could just ask you, you know, if you could just share some of your own experience with that. Sure, sure. Thank you. Yeah, I I certainly did have quite a custody battle um, that I went through. The way that I came to it was I had been with my partner for um, a few years and you know, there's, there's red flags that you see that you kind of ignore because, um, you know, I, by the time I met him, I was uh, in my late 30s and I had kind of thought, well, maybe I'm being too picky. So when certain little things came up that seemed a bit odd, what I was telling myself was, you know what, 
you are too picky. You have to accept people as they are. I came up with many reasons that these strange things that were going on were just who he was. Um, there was one time when um, I was being extorted by a mechanic and in just utter stress of not getting my car back, I burst into tears in front of him and just deeply wept. And he kind of stood there and stared at me and then walked away. And I didn't realize that that's a red flag for just someone who just doesn't know how to empathize, right? He had um, always done very well with cognitive empathy, but when it came to real empathy, he just, he didn't have it. But it was really when I became pregnant that I saw the change. After that, uh, it was abuse, but I didn't realize it at the time. So what ended up happening was about three weeks into the change of behavior, I sought the help of a therapist. I had had therapists in the past, but I hadn't had one for a while. And I told her the reason I came to her was because I wasn't sure what was going on in my relationship. And I just become pregnant and just uh, just needed some help. I was with her for about a year. And after my child was born, and there were several strange things that happened before then, I was walking on eggshells. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I dreaded when he would come home. He had a very, very strict way of eating. And so I was constantly hungry while saying that I wasn't because I knew that I would get the silent treatment if I criticized any bit of the food that he worked so hard to prepare and that he carried home that was so heavy and all those types of things. So there came a day a few months after my son was born and it was a complicated birth and he had zero sympathy the entire time. Um, the midwife and the doctor later told me I almost died and um, he had zero empathy for that. They had wanted me to stay in the hospital for a week and he coerced me to leave just a day and a half later. And it was uh, difficult because then he left me at home alone with the baby who was healthy. Um, so, my friend, I, I was out with her. We were having lunch or whatnot. And I was once again, just pouring my heart out and kind of like, what can I do? What, what should I do? This is happening. He said this, he did this. Is there, what can I do here? And she said, you know what, Renee, I have to stop you because you've been telling me things for days. And I need to say, I think you're being mentally abused. And I looked at her and I said, what is, what is that? What do you mean by that? And she said, I don't, I just think, I think you're just being mentally abused. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, the way he treats you and all of this and all of that. And I kind of sat there and I kind of thought, you know, nobody's immune to this, but when you're beginning to be, when your eyes are beginning to be opened, you come up with a million reasons why it couldn't be you. You have this high powered C-suite job. You, um, you know, you're doing everything alone. You also run a theater company on the side that is almost about to be off Broadway. There were all these things happening that I said, no, not me. I've always been the head of things, the leader. I've always um, helped others become leaders. So mm, this doesn't make sense. It must be something else. And I wanna say that by that point, I was so small. I had just become a shadow of who I once was. And 
All I wanted to do was please and appease in the hopes that he wouldn't be angry with me, that he wouldn't insist that I sleep alone, that he wouldn't just be cruel, you know? Now in public, he was wonderful. I, I can assure you that everyone who has ever met him would pin the blame on me, right? Because he's, he's wonderful. He's got a warm voice, an infectious laugh, sparkling blue eyes, handsome. Um, there's no reason to believe that he is who he is, right? Quite charming. So I called my therapist after that conversation and I said, listen, I've been working with you for about a year now. And I just, I have to ask you, I know, you know, I'm so sorry, but I just have to ask you, my friend said that I'm being mentally abused. Do you think there's any chance of being mentally abused? And she said, yes. And I said, my God, why wouldn't you have told me this? And she said, you can't tell somebody. They have to just get there. And what I've been doing with you is I've been helping you to use your voice and understand that what you're feeling and experiencing is valid, is real. It isn't this thing that you're making up. It isn't just your perspective. It's not any of the things he's telling you. I've been helping you understand that everything you're experiencing is a very real thing. So that was a shock and it was horrifying to me because you feel stuck. You know, you've had a child with this person. I was brought up quite religious. And even though I had shed Catholicism, because it just wasn't for me, um, when you're brought up a certain way, it still sticks with you. And some of the things I had been battling was, you know, but I have to do what's best for my child. I have to do what's best. And it's, it's, you know, I've been taught that having a family unit is what's best for the child, right? So I wasn't sure what to do, but I started researching mental abuse, which led me to, you know, psychological abuse, which led me to the, um, the abuse, the power wheel, right? The domestic abuse power wheel. And I looked at the phases, right? And I perfectly fit every little phase in that wheel to the point where there, things were starting to get slammed down. There was a lot of slamming happening. And I realized that because I had hit each piece of the wheel so perfectly, I didn't have very much doubt that I was going to get to the worst parts of this wheel if one could determine there is a worse part than any other. Because when I look back, I look at each piece of that wheel and I think that they're all just as deeply problematic, but in different ways. So there was a day in which he was livid, just furious with me because I had made him a chia pudding. And he said, how, I can't believe that you did that. I can't believe that you made me a chia pudding from scratch. And I was like, I don't understand. He said, you should have known that I don't eat chia pudding anymore. And I said, well, how would I have known that when you just had it a week ago? He said, well, that's when I decided not to have it. And I was all kind of like, well, I was not aware of this. Well, you should have known. And I realized, I was like, that's always what it is. If I haven't read your mind, I get punished. I mean, there's lots of other things I get punished for, but that's kind of a big one. So he was upset that evening with me because, um, 
he was trying to upload a video for something that he had to do. And um, he had wandered into the bedroom where I was um, nursing our child. And I asked him if he could look something up for me. And he went in and he was just researching it on the web while his video was uploading. And he determined that the reason his video wasn't uploading was because I had asked him to open up another browser to look up something for me. It was so utterly ridiculous, but this time I understood how utterly ridiculous it was because of my friend and because of my therapist and because of the wheel. And so when he went back into the other room after tearing into me for ruining his chances at a great future, I went on the web and I looked up how to leave. How do I leave? The next day he left for work and I called my friend and I said, I think I'm leaving today. Wow. Is there any chance you could help me? And she said, let me just call into work. She called into work. This is the same friend. She came and when she came, I said, I don't know if this is the right thing. I don't know if I'm doing this right because I'm fleeing. I'm just leaving in the middle of the day and he hasn't really, he hasn't done anything to me, has he? She goes, you're being abused. And I said, no, but he hasn't done anything. He hasn't grabbed me just yet, but you saw him grab other people. Yes, he's capable of it, but he hasn't. She said, why don't we, what can we do? I said, I want to call the domestic violence hotline. So I called them and what I really expected to hear was, look, I think you guys just need maybe a therapist, but he wouldn't go to therapy, right? I think you guys need this. I expected them to talk me down. And instead I said, look, I don't think what I'm going through is abuse, but my friend does. So I just kind of want to describe some things to you. And they said, okay, go on. So I started telling them just certain situations when he lost his keys, when he hit his shin, when he, I was nowhere near him for any of these things, but they had all become my fault because he was a blamer type. And they were finishing my sentences for me. And I said, "My, I don't know what to do with this. And they said, this is absolutely abuse. Okay, so what I need from you is how do I tell him I'm leaving? They said, based on what you're telling me, we think you should just go just go. And I said, okay. And they said, you know, call us if you need us again. Here are some resources. And I'm packing two bags. This is New York City. There was a foot of snow. And I've got my child in a, in a carrier, in a Moby carrier. And I've got my, my friend um, with a huge bag on her shoulder. And I'm carrying a um, rolling suitcase behind me, a foot of snow on the sidewalk and fled um, to be with her for a while right? For a few days, a few days here, a few days there, a few days there. He's texting me. He's saying, where are you? You better come back. I need you to call me right now. When I didn't answer after a few hours, oh, here's some of your heirlooms and some of your precious items gone, destroyed. Better get back here before I do more. Here's another text message. Here's a photo of what I'm going to destroy next. If you don't call me and you bring my son, he went from, we can talk about this and where are you and come back to bring my son back to me. And all I could think was the child you couldn't bother to be paid attention to unless we were out and about that child. Cause when he was out and about, oh my gosh, he was such a doting father. But he was upset with me at home if I asked him to hold the child. Sometimes he was okay. I'll, t I'll say that because I don't want to make it seem like every moment was this way because then people feel like, well, mine wasn't like that all the time, but most of the time he was. Mine too, right? So Can I just 
say, and I, I don't want to interrupt you because I don't want to interrupt your flow because you're getting so much out, which is fantastic. But I think one of the things is that it's not black and white. And, you know, that's the reason why so many women are confused about what they're going through is because he's not bad all the time. You no. know, there's these, there's these glimpses of hope that everything's okay because you see that the good side of him, you know, where he, you know, where he's, doing the right things is ticking the right boxes but then there's this other stuff that's going on that is definitely far from being okay so yeah please continue i'm so glad that you laid it out in that way you know it, it's it's not this this definable thing right it doesn't fit into this box it's all over the place it's the love bombing and then it's the slipped facade, right? So after about a week, go ahead. I was just yeah, you were going to say, say. Yeah, I was just going to say, so from that point, um, things escalated because you'd, mm -hmm. uh, you'd drawn a line in the sand. You'd removed mm -hmm. yourself from him and from that environment and um, and he was no longer in control and you had shifted the dynamic. So that's, yeah, really well illustrated in that quick transition from one minute he's texting you saying, you know, where are you? Come back, let's talk about this, you know, let's work things out to starting to threaten straight away after that. And, yeah, the threat's coming in thick and fast. So, yeah, so that's where we left things. So, yeah, please. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, about a week later, I finally responded. Um, and I, you know, he said, I want to see my son. And I said, well, um, we need to talk about that because I'm afraid of you. And he did the whole, there's no reason to be afraid of me. I've never done anything to you, all of that stuff, right? And that's the thing about coercive control, psychological abuse, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse. One can go on and out to friends and family and say, I never touched her, right? So I realized that I had the sense that there was an uncertainty about what could happen in court. So I ended up talking to several lawyers. Um, I wasn't trying to be difficult about it, but I did speak to 12 different lawyers because um, I had come into the relationship with a bank account, um, a savings account with more money than I'd ever been able to save in my life. I had grown up quite poor and I was quite proud of the amount of money that was in there. And it was gone by the time I left him. He had found reasons to, the money just kept disappearing. I was paying most of everything. I was paying, so the financial abuse was there as well. So I had nothing. I was still working. So I could now start living paycheck to paycheck, but I was also in the city where one has at least one housemate, <laughs> if not more, in order to, to really be able to manage it. And now here I was on my own with a child and I couldn't very well have housemates with this child, right? So I wasn't sure what to do. And so I was kind of just seeking free advice for a while. And one thing I learned was that when I told them my story and I told them what I had, 
they said, you, you really don't have anything. And so my take was, well, this is, this stuff has been horrible. And then, you know, before I left, he started to get a little rough with even the baby and they're all kind of like, none, you have nothing, you have nothing, you have nothing except your story. And so I began to think, and I thought, well, I have a strategy background. And so what can I do here? And I realized that his extremism was something that the court would probably respond to because it wasn't about being out to get him at all. It was more like, okay, I had these issues with him. How much of this will affect our son? How much of this is going to be heaped onto our son? At that point, I wasn't even knowledgeable about coercive control or I couldn't name that. I couldn't name narcissistic abuse. I couldn't name, name NPD, any of that at that point. But I did have a sense that his restrictive eating would definitely be a, a problem for our child. And it did begin to become a problem. And our nanny noticed it as well, right? So I thought, well, that's going to be the key. And the lawyers agreed. They said, that's, that's like ridiculous. This kind of eating is, I mean, you can't do it with a child if he wants to do it let him have at it. But, and I thought, well, how do I? So one day he came over and I said, look, we need to talk about the food. And he said, well, what about the food? And he started to get tense right away. And he's always there. He was always simmering, but then when it gets past that, then his shoulder, you know, he starts to get tense. And I said, well, he, he's taken really well to some, um, you know, steamed broccoli and he just lost it. He said, you fed him steamed broccoli? And I said, yes. He said, how dare you feed him cooked food? And I said, I was like, this isn't unhealthy. And he went through why it was unhealthy, right? He, he said, it, you know, the, the heat and the, I don't even need to go into it, but he found his reasons for why it wasn't healthy. But he had a look in his eyes I'd never seen before and I became deeply frightened. Well, as luck would have it, he went back home and he wrote me a scrollable email, the kind where you're just like, wow. And he laid it all out, what I needed to be doing. All of the control was finally out there on paper. And as soon as I saw it, I said, I've, that's it. I've got it. Yeah. So, and I want to be clear, I wasn't trying to keep our child away from him, but he was run, wreaking havoc with our lives. He was showing up whenever he wanted and demanding, you know, that he have our son. He wasn't giving me any, except a couple hundred dollars every once in a while, support, right? So the financial abuse was continuing. But I knew that if I filed for child support before I had what I needed to have to have a strong case that he was gonna go for shared custody. And I don't like shared custody and I still don't. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure. But so we went through court, right? And as we were going through court, I ended up finding a great lawyer and he said to me, we just need to get control of your life back. And I was like, there it is. You understand that this is about control. It's not about being controlling like him. It's about just getting control of me, of my life and not being all kind of like, oh, he came and he wants the baby and he, there's going to be a scene and there's going to be ugliness. I don't know if he's going to bring him back. Let me just do what he says. Right. Yeah. So he was good and we were doing well, but something was missing. I knew I needed something more. I just, I knew it. By this time, I had been on the boards trying to figure out how I could get my head straight again and stop feeling so small. 
and um, I happened upon this was 10 years ago so it took me a long time to get to what some people can now get to in about 45 minutes if that I couldn't figure out how to get over my abuse I've been doing these domestic violence things you know you're gonna do this you're gonna do that it all was good and it all helped but it wasn't getting at the core of it and I couldn't figure out why so then I hit something where they said well this is, um, you know, he's such a, a narcissist. And I was like, I wonder what that is. They were like, they started talking about things and they said, you know, this narcissistic abuse. And I was like, that, that sounds interesting. And they said, well, you know, the best is Melanie Tonya Evans. And I was kind of like, I don't know who that is, but I'm going to look her up. Looked her up and I got her in her email list. She was emailing me my life. She was writing my life. Like every email that I got every week was like another chapter in the book of my life, my relationship with him. It was unbelievable. And now I had a name and now I had a way to recover. Yeah. And uh, I refer a lot of my clients to her now because yeah. the way that she works is quite unique. Mm -hmm. So at first I was like, I, this doesn't sound, <laughs> I don't know about this. And it took me about three months before I did it. And finally, I just, you know, I said, this is worth paying for. And I did it. And after I was done with it, I was talking to my friend one day, my best friend who's known me for 30 years. And she said, I just want to say something to you, Renee. And I said, okay, what? She said, you're back. Mm -hmm. Said, I see you again. Said that thing you've been doing, that that program where you said, I, it's going to sound weird, so I don't know how to explain it. But she said, whatever that is, I keep seeing more and more of you come back and now you're back. Mm -hmm. It was narcissistic abuse. Mm -hmm. And that's what Melanie Tonya Evans helps people lift themselves up from, right? Yeah. So that's when I realized that I did need something more though. And when I was in Melanie, Tony Evans sort of boards and circles and Facebook groups or whatever, someone had brought up Tina Swithin. And I got in contact with Tina Swithin, who is the head of One Mom's Battle. And I said, hey, I see that you do coaching, that you're a divorce coach. I didn't even know those existed, but I can sense that I have a great lawyer, but I just, it, I have to win this. I have to win this custody battle for my child's sake. She said, yeah, based on what you sent me, I, I will definitely work with you. She told me that at that time when I was working with her 10 years ago anyway, that what she was witnessing when I showed her emails that I started getting and just told her my story, that it was the second worst um, case of uh, coercive abuse she had seen up to that point. So um, she was amazing and she helped me with my custody battle, right? We got to a point in my custody battle where we were going to have what's called a forensic evaluation. It can be termed different things in different jurisdictions and countries, but it's basically where someone comes in and does several interviews with you and your ex and sees you with your child, sees him with your child, talks to collaterals, does all kinds of things, right? Several hours worth, it does psychological testing, all of it. She said, this is, this is the biggest thing you have to overcome. Everybody thinks it's the judge, but it's actually, this is the person. And I said, okay. I said, well, okay, what do I do? She goes, so here's the thing. This isn't my wheelhouse. There are only two people I know who are really good at this. Um, one of them is about to retire because it's just, she can't take, she can't take the stories of abuse anymore. And the other one is, um, you know, she's, I mean, they're both full, but I'll try to get you in. 
she came back to me. She said, I can't get you in. They can't take anyone else. So, but you have this great background of administration and strategy. See what you can put together. I said, okay, I can make charts and stuff. I don't know. So I took a look at the way I know how to do things. I put something together. And during our next session, I said, well, here's what I've got. I'm sending it to you now. She took a look at it and she said, Renee, I've never seen anything like this. So I've never seen it laid out so clearly. I've never seen anything that's so clearly honest and persuasive at the same time. She said, you should be doing this. And I said, I am doing it. She goes, no, <laughs> you should be doing coaching. You should do this. And I was kind of like, slow your roll, Tina. I'm still in the middle of this myself. But she got me thinking and, um, you know, word got around. And as I was going through my battle, people were like, those templates, can I, can I see those templates? Can I have those templates? Yes, absolutely. Here. Oh, you want them too? Here. Yes. Here, 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 here. All kinds of people. And my friend who was going through recovery with me and also worked with Tina said, Renee, you know, you need to kind of quit your job and just do this. You've been a coach for forever. It would be an easy switch for you to do this. And I thought it, it would. So a few years after my custody battle, I um, did some training in domestic violence advocacy. Um, I did deep studies in narcissistic abuse. I can't even tell you uh, up to my elbows in all things narcissism and psychological abuse and, and really all things court. I'm a certified instructional designer as luck would have it. So I felt what I needed to do was build a curriculum so that anybody who's going through it can have all that information at their fingertips. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how my company was born is through that little custody blueprint I made for the evaluation that I then realized actually covers pretty much the entirety of a custody battle. After I started the company, I started creating more templates as I started getting more clients and saw what else was needed until I created just this full bodied thing that I could give to women who are being abused to give them the best possible chance they have in a system that has a proven, statistically proven gender bias. Let's take a quick break to breathe and hear about how to find the keys that you need to be free. You're off to a great start because you found this podcast to help you to heal your heart. Now, each episode is jam-packed with support and inspiration, but don't forget to check out the episode notes, which is set up to be your life support station. In there, you'll find links to a crisis support list, plus a way to contact us and so much more to help you close the door on fearfulness and pick up the keys to a life where good things are going to be again in store. Okay, take another breath and let it go and turn your attention back to today's show. I think that's absolutely wonderful that you have created a resource that will help women to in a step-by-step -step kind of really logical process because it's just so overwhelming going through the courts um you know like when you go to into that whole sphere with um having to go to court it's completely unfamiliar you know most women don't even know where to begin when it comes to their rights you know like they have no idea 
you know, that they have a right to feel safe, you know, in their home, in their community, in their relationship. And, you know, that that's a basic human right. And when you're in an abusive relationship, that those sorts of rights are really being abused. So, um, yeah, it's, I think it's fantastic that you've done that. And it sounds like you've got such a great skill set to, you know, bring all of that together. So having, you know, shared that I think it's really important if you could please share a link for the listeners to connect with you to tap into your resources Renee sure so you can just go to the custodyblueprint.com and you'll find us there um, that's where we work with women who have suffered from psychological and physical abuse um, almost without fail we find that they're dealing with um, a co-parent who has, and I, I use that word because the court likes to hear it, but who has one of the cluster B personality disorders, and that's usually narcissistic personality disorder. Um, that's the one that we're usually dealing with. So the custodyblueprint.com, if you want to just take a look at just a few of the templates from the blueprint, custodytemplates.com. Can I ask you, with your model that you've created, does that work? Do you find that that sort of stands up in different territories that somebody say in Australia, because you're American, yes, American? I am. And we have had several clients. So our clients are in the United States and Canada, mostly. Uh, we do have some in Singapore. We are only just now starting to reach out to the UK and Australia, Australia even though we know that the statistics are run um, along the same, uh, that the family courts work much the same, that a woman still or any abused parent still needs to prove that that's what they've suffered. I think one of the challenges that women face is learning to advocate for themselves. And, and when you're in an abusive relationship, um, like you were describing very early on, you become a shell of your former self. So um, you lose your voice. You know, you don't feel as though you're being seen or heard or that you're, what you think or what you believe is of any value. So it keeps you in that place of being small. But I think, you know, having a resource that will help you to, identify what you need to be able to communicate to be able to advocate for yourself and for your child is just so invaluable so I'm just really so grateful that you have you know created this resource um because I know that it's quite overwhelming when you're in a in a place where you're being very overwhelmed and stress is really playing a massive part in that and you were talking about you know your healing journey with Melanie Tonya Evans and um and that works really helps on that side of things it helps you to find a place of peace again and it helps you to um to feel less burdened by all the stress that you are carrying around because of the uncertainties that you're facing with um, the court basically having control over your 
your future and your child's future and just what's at stake and how much rides on you know that process um, again it's about a loss of control and having to negotiate how to really strengthen your position and let them see quite clearly that what you are you know requesting from the court is absolutely you know justifiable and um and you're able to communicate in a way that the courts understand because it, the courts use a different language and what you know like what we think and what we feel um you know is very hard to communicate at that time when you know your stress levels your cortisol is going through the absolute roof with the stress that you're experiencing and you know if you're in court and you're having to provide evidence or if you're in that situation where you're being interviewed which is really assess an assessment to see your you know your fit how fit you are to be a parent and what, what role you should be playing in your child's life and you know for them to see that yes you are a good mother and yes you are going to be able to provide the stability the security and meet all of your child's needs in a way that a child really deserves is really hard to communicate when you yourself are very stressed out because of the pressures that are on you. So how do you feel about that? Well, and then all of that, plus you are almost always, depending on your jurisdiction, in the same room as your abuser, yeah. who is at his most charming self, right? So, you know, one of the things that you had said a little bit back that ties into exactly what we're talking about now is you don't know what to expect in family court. You know, I try to bring a little bit of humor into some of the work. And one of the things I like to say is it's not like we took family court 101 in high school or college, right? There's no expectation that this is going to be you. Why would there be? And I do want to say that well over 90%, and I know I saw in Australia, the percent is 97%. In America, it's over 95% of splitting couples with children. They figure it out themselves. They uh, get lawyers, they get, or they do mediation, or they sit down and they just find a form online and do it themselves and sign it. Maybe they have the court put a stamp on it. Maybe they don't because once you've been abused, it feels like you're beginning to see it everywhere. But the truth is, the majority of people are not this way, right? You just got terribly unlucky. So I think that when you go into court, one of the things we're finding more and more that's happening worldwide is that this accusation of mental instability or mental illness is being lobbed at the abuse victims, right? And unfortunately, because narcissists are able to appear in court so quaffed, so put together and so charmingly, it can be difficult because then what we've got is we've got a mom who's coming in and trying to say, look, this is what I want for my children. And there's knowing what happens behind closed doors with this man, there's a, a franticness, there's a little bit of a panic that's going on there. And that little bit of that that's under your surface is showing up in court and feeding into that narrative they've got, right? No, there's no reason that she should have primary custody. She's There's something she's not quite mentally all there. Look at her, right? 
So what do you do when you go into court? Well, the biggest thing I think that I'm, we're constantly working with our clients with is um, how you respond and what you expect, right? Those two things together. How you respond is when a question is asked, um, moms who are suffering from trauma, and it takes a while, it takes a while to recover from this trauma. For many people, it can take years. Well, you're in court almost right away. So most moms that I'm working with are still deeply in trauma, just freshly understanding what's happened to them. So the PTSD and many times CPTSD in addition to PTSD are right there front and center. And then it's got to be, I'm the protective mother of these children. My God, it's, it's the stress that you mentioned. All of these things are later into that stress. So when, when a question is asked in court, then someone who has been suffering trauma is going to say a lot. You might even find yourself pouring out your story because if they hear your story, they're really going to understand that that person over there who looks so charming and looks confused and that's not the person who is really trying to be a father to these children. That doesn't work in court. In fact, it backfires, right? So you can't pour out as many facts and ideas and try to get as much in front of them as you can. That's part of the work we do. But in the, at the bottom of that, the work we do is what I want you to think about if you're going into court, for those of you who are in the middle of it is, how can I be succinct but thorough? succinct but thorough and really what it comes down to is just share the facts that you know are going to be egregious without layering your commentary into it how does that look tactically well i'll give you one tiny example let's say i have a mom who's practicing telling her story to the court and she says something like my daughter can't comes back from handoffs She's a mess. She's crying. She's angry. She tells me she hates me. She tells me that I don't love her. She's saying all kinds of things that I would never normally hear from her. And she's just screaming these things at me. And she'll have a tantrum for about 45 minutes an hour. And then she's back to her normal self. Something is going on over there. Clearly something is going on over there because she's upset. She's hurt. Well, all right. We can't accuse them of something going on over there because you don't have the facts for that. You also, interestingly enough, don't have the facts that your daughter is angry or hurt. That's your commentary. So how do I say this, Renee? Okay. So then what you're saying is some of the stuff that you're saying. She's having tantrums. She's saying this. She bruised her heel from smashing it on the floor. She does this consistently after she comes home and you can see part of it starting on the ring camera as she's being dropped off, right? What are you doing there? Well, you're only stating facts. You're not laying commentary on it. You're simply saying these are the actions she has after transition. And you're also putting out there that you have like physical evidence of that. You can even see it on the ring camera when she first comes, right? Now the court knows that there's evidence, right? Whether or not your jurisdiction will allow that particular type of evidence is different, but just saying that invites them to understand that what you're saying has backup and they can choose to look at it and ask for it. Yeah. Right, right. So 
that's much more succinct than going on and on and saying, and, and then some moms will go on and say, I want to talk about the fact that it also hurts me and that I'm the mother to this child. And I'm, I said, nope, I hate to say this, but they just simply don't care about that. You can't come in with these huge stories. And I'll tell you, the number one thing you can't do is try to make them see who that person is. You can lay down the facts and you can do what the phrase that I like to use is you can lead them to water but you can't shove their head in the water. They don't want to drink it anymore. You have to hope they drink the water and understand that there's narcissistic abuse. Can I ask you, do you look at the pyramid of needs when in establishing a child's, you know, the argument that um, if those child child's needs aren't being met um, when the child is with the father, that that plays a big part in establishing the need for the mother to have custody if you're checking off those boxes and and you know making sure that they're getting you know they've got the the roof over the head they've got the food they've got yeah the clothing that they're not no disruptions to their education or to their extracurricular or those sorts of important things yes yes thank you for listing those out depending on what country you're in it might be called custody factors it might be called the list of needs it might be called parenting factors you can you can look it might be called the best interest factors there's a number of things might be called based on your state your province even your jurisdiction right so we help, we, we like to recommend that you prepare your case looking at exactly what those are in your jurisdiction, right? Um, in your county, in your whatever it might be called, where you live, take a look at, many of them have it up on their website. If not, it might be a statute. It might be something, any, it's something any lawyer, any legal aid can provide to you. When you look at that, interestingly enough, they tend to be, they're mostly the same around the world, right? But interestingly enough, depending on what jurisdiction you're at, they will list them in a different order sometimes. That's a clue to you as to what your area sees as the most important factors, because they'll usually list them, almost always list them in the order of importance. You will want to prepare your case based on that, on those factors, on that list, on those needs, right? Once you do that, then again, you're looking at physical evidence for it, right? And when it comes to the other piece of it, which is what you expect, I want to be clear that, you know, because we didn't take family court 101 anywhere, the expectation is sort of like what we see on TV and in the movies. Let me get my lawyer. That's my savior. Now I'm good. I just have to make sure I have a good lawyer and then I'm good. So, here's the reality. The reality is you have to have a team with you, right? Because it's not just your lawyer who's doing this. It's a whole team of people. You need to, I always recommend that you have a coach. I always recommend that you have a therapist, right? Unless you happen to find out that your judge feels that if you're in therapy, then you're proving that you're mentally unstable. So you do want to do a little bit of research about that as well. All right. You do want to make sure that your children have a child therapist. I like play therapists quite a bit. They used to just be for quite young children. Now you can have your kid in play therapy when they're eight, nine, 10 years old. This is incredibly effective, especially if your child has undergone trauma. Mm -hmm. If you do get a therapist for yourself 
or for your child, please check that they are certified in trauma therapy mm. for whatever that means for your country, your state, your jurisdiction. Please make sure that they're certified so that you can do a round of trauma therapy. Now, what we're finding is for children that can take 12 to 16 months, but for adults, it's usually about six to eight months. But you want that in addition to the EMDR or neurofeedback or whatever else you might be doing for trauma, right? And I know that you've had people on your podcast that I've loved listening to the resources they've been giving your audience is just perfect stuff, right? Make sure that you've got that for your children as well. Here's the reason I like for you to get a child therapist who has some sort of trauma background or social work background is because they can identify trauma versus saying, well, you know, it's a divorce. Children always, when there's a divorce, children act up and they can't see what's really happening. If you can find somebody who has that trauma background, then what they can testify, they can help be another voice for you in court to say, this is trauma. And I can tell you where it's coming from because I did a course of trauma therapy with this child. And I can tell you that this is where it's coming from. That kind of stuff is important. But what I want to say and go back to say, your lawyer is not your savior. We want you to partner with your lawyer. Your lawyer is your employee, right? So instead of taking total direction from your lawyer, this is a collaboration, you guys. It's a collaboration. So you come to them and you say to them, hey, I chose you because you said you knew how to do legal letters back and forth to try to settle, but you also can do trial. You're familiar with trial. I came to you because you understand case conferences and what to do there. I came to you because you said that I could help you out with this. Well, I know you're used to doing things a certain way, but here I've got this for you and I've got this for you and I've got that for you. Here's some physical evidence here. I want some training here. I want us to focus on this. And then you listen to what your lawyer has to say. And then the two of you talk back and forth. And if you don't like the reasons your lawyer is coming up with for why they don't want to use this piece or this category of concern, then you have the right to push that to say, look, I need you to do this and I need you to make sure that I get my due process. For many of you in, in more and more, more and more we see, we didn't used to see it in Canada or Singapore, for example. Now we're seeing that many times the lawyers will just say, you wait here, I'm gonna try to work it out with the other lawyer. Maybe we'll even get the judge involved. Well, that's not due process. That's not due process. You don't know who owes who what, or who really needs the judge to like them. So they don't wanna push that thing that you know you want them to push. So you have to partner with them rather than see them as your savior. And with the help of a coach and your therapist and just getting all these pieces around you, you can go forth with a really great case, right? And you'll include CPS when you need to, you'll include child services, whoever, a, Domestic violence experts have more and more of a place in courts now, and I like the role that they play because they can take these evaluations that are gender biased and say that you're the problem. They can come in and say this evaluator has no skill set in domestic violence. They have no skill set in trauma. And what they were identifying as mental instability or what they were identifying as parental alienation isn't what that is. And they will come up and they will quote studies like the Saunders study and the Meyer study, and they will make work out of a bad evaluation. They very much will. 
great advice, all fantastic. I want to go a couple of steps back for a second to and just just have a look at a little scenario of say because a lot of women who are abused are financially abused. Okay, lawyers cost money. Um, yeah. So I want to take a couple of steps back because I just want to say what one of the ways that women feel very disempowered and limited is because they don't have the funds to get necessarily a lawyer that they think is going to be the best lawyer for them. So I'd like to ask you, you know, the process in that women can do to initially advocate for themselves to get a lawyer how do they go about that how do they even find a lawyer that might be the right fit for them so it's an interesting thing because when you can't afford a lawyer there's usually you can find a pro bono lawyer or you can use legal aid right um and or you can go in um, self-represented which is called pro se or pro per if you heard either of those two terms that just means that you're going self-represented so you really have three options before you if you go pro se we have found that the statistics are not great um they're 50 50 right um if the other if you both are going pro se if he has a lawyer and you don't then your statistics go down to 30 percent chance of getting what you want that's frightening right so then can you get legal aid can you get a pro bono lawyer are they going to be any good this varies by where you're at quite frankly because they're whoever's going to be working in your courtroom so you have to kind of you're going to do some research you're going to look for whatever is the equivalent of legal aid in your area and you're going to see what kind of lawyers are they getting in sometimes legal aid means they're just going to give you advice and good luck to you you're going to go pro se sometimes it means that they've got an organization a full organization and they're going to offer you a couple of different kinds of lawyers they might have both kinds they might just have one but the two types that we generally see are you know junior lawyers who are still getting their feet wet right and then we've got lawyers who they're doing their pro bono they've got these big fantastic firms and they got to do their pro bono hours they got to do some free lawyering in order to look good and tax breaks or whatnot right there's a bunch of different reasons they want to do that so you have to determine what you're going to get but when you do get it there's usually some kind of a limit on it it might be a time range like okay you have somebody for this range december to march for you it might be the amount of time they're spending on your case all right you get somebody for 100 hours for 500 hours whatever it may be right um it, it's it's hard to say so you have to do that research for yourself um what i want to say about whether or not you have a good lawyer is this I have had clients who were paying their lawyer 125 USD an hour, and that's it. And then I've had them paying $750 an hour, right? Your lawyers are either going to be good or bad, no matter how much they cost. And whether they're good or not, it really is about you being the main driver of your case. You've got to have strategy. You've got to have a good, strong, clear mindset. And you've got to understand that that big bundle of evidence you've got, you can only choose the bits that are relevant and that are compelling, right? And then you want to look at the rules of evidence in there. So you really have a big decision to make, but at the bottom of it and at the heart of it is how well you prepare your case. 
How are you putting it together? Who is helping you choose the evidence that's going to not look like you're out to get your ex, out to keep your children away from their ex, but evidence that really will show them what's going on? One of the hardest things our clients have when we work with them is that, no, I've got this. And we're looking at it and we're saying, that's a pretty good piece of evidence, but that's all you've got for this. You have like five different really frightening, compelling things under this category of neglect. Would you be able to go after that? Oh, well, he'll just clean up his act. Fair enough, but we want you to think about that. When you're looking at substance abuse, all you've got is this, but the sobriety tests are coming back clear. If you keep going after this and he's got physical proof that he's sober, you're going to look bad, even though you know he's drinking on the sly. So those are examples of people who are kind of like, this is what I've got, this is the worst of him. The worst of him might not actually be what you wanna go in with. So you do wanna make sure you've got somebody consulting you. And that is the, the other thing I would suggest is you can pay a lawyer just to consult you as you go pro se. But I will, I will stand up and say the best thing you can actually do is just have a strong case, whether you're giving it to your lawyer to present or whether you're doing it yourself or consulting with the lawyer. Yeah, that's completely fair enough. Um, and the other question that uh, I've wanted to ask you is, um, so if you are concerned about your child spending time with your ex-partner um, and they are, you know, at that time already needing to go and spend time with that ex-partner and you are in serious, you've got serious concerns that your child it may be harmed, you know, whether, you know, they're going to be, say, perhaps exposed to something that's really harmful to them, whether it's, you know, that substance abuse or um, your ex-partner has a porn addiction and your child might be exposed to pornography or they're going to be taken to a dealer's house or, um, uh, you know, they, they might be physically harmed. What advice do you have on that, Renee, you know, for a mother who's contending with that type of thing? Very situational, to be honest with you, Sandy, but here are some thoughts. Um, you know, you named a number of things. There are some things where I'm sad to say the court is basically turns into a shrug emoji about, you know, you think it's something that's very serious that your children shouldn't be undergoing. And the court's kind of like, well, let's just tell him to clean up his act. And then he says that he does, and then that's it. And these kinds of things are heartbreaking. So then what do you do? You can look at child protective services in your area. Um, I have to say, I, I do recommend that you do research for your child protective services, whatever they may be called, <clears throat> excuse me. There's a, you know, depending on where you live, what state, what county, what province, they have a million different names, but they're basically your child protective services organization. Look up yours and see how they're faring, see what people have to say. Now, we're keeping in mind that people like to be vocal when they want to complain, but really try to dig into how good they are by going into the domestic violence sort of forums and saying, hey, in this county, in this area, this is our child protection. How have they done for you, right? If they've got some decent folks, then you probably want them to do a home visit. You probably want them to see what's going on in the other house, right? 
but there are ver there are other ways again depending on your situation and what's going on i might look at someone and i might say we need to depose him um, he's going to want to depose you back but based on what i'm reading the way he writes to you and everything you're telling me a deposition is going to be an expensive thing for you to do, but it's actually going to save you money in the long run because of how quickly it's going to make them want to settle once they realize what your lawyer or you are going to use in court, right? The other thing is, is that every court is some sort of an emergency motion that you can put in. This is tricky and it's hard because again, you're trying to prove to the court something they do not want to hear because there's a real cognitive dissonance. There's just a psychological separation that anybody has, right? Think about if you've had domestic violence, think about trying to explain it to people who have seen how happy you looked in public together, right? So you have sort of that psychological separation where even the people whose work it is to see these things don't really want to believe it's there. They want to see that it's just an accusation. They want to see that maybe that person is doing something that they'll admit to, but that they can clean it up. They won't look at porn anymore. There isn't a lot of knowledge there. There isn't a lot of domestic violence training. A porn addiction is not something that can be handled by saying, I'm done with it, right? It's very, very difficult, any kind of addiction. If they're drinking, are they driving with these kids? And that leads to another thing I might recommend, which is maybe you need to hire a private investigator. Also, an incredible amount of money that will save you a lot of money if they get something that's so useful that the other side just folds and says, you're right. I didn't, I lied. I didn't really take care of the kids more than she did. I hardly paid attention to them at all. I Let me just see them every other weekend, right? That's the ideal. So there are other things I could suggest, but again, it really comes down to being situa situational. You have to sit and you have to think about with what I've got on him, what is going to be the best way to show the court factually that this is what is going on. That's fantastic. Look, I am just so, um, I'm just so like grateful to you for this conversation because you have really loaded so much useful information into it. I think that it's going to be one of those episodes that um, the listeners will be able to go back and refer to and listen to over again because you've just got so much you know content and so many useful tips that you've shared which is absolutely wonderful and I'm so grateful to you Renee really it's um I think we will leave it there with the um the conversation for today I I feel as though you know like it's only a time constraint that's making me you know stop the conversation here because I think it's one of those conversations that there's so many layers to and you know so many complexities to that we could be sitting here talking for the next several hours uh, and just you know be uncovering and revealing you know one thing after another in it um so Thank you. And there's one question that I always ask my listeners who come onto the podcast, which is, what does the title Tiara's Tears and Triumphs mean to you? You know, after what I've been through and go through every day with so many abused women, it's it immediately spoke to me of my 
of my journey. There were so many tears. I was listening to Nimikitipa so many times. Um, and I didn't feel glamorous. Like that's what the tiara means for me. I didn't feel myself, my true glamour. But my triumph is I took something that was so dark in my life and I've turned it into a light for so many others. And that is such a deep triumph, not just for me, but for my son to have, he, so now he has a healthy parent mm. and I'm, I'm ever so grateful for that. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Renee, again, for being a guest on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm, I'm grateful also to be here. If you would like to be a part of a growing community to fast track your healing journey, you can do this in a couple of ways. One way you can do this is to become a supporter of this podcast by becoming a patron. This will help me to help you and other people just like you to discover the resources that are included in this podcast to help you rise back up after hitting rock bottom, after experiencing different forms of abuse. And like I said, you can do this by becoming a patron of this podcast. It's super easy. Just go to the episode notes and click on the link to become a patron. When you are a patron, you will receive exclusive bonuses like the behind the scenes audio files with deep and meaningful insights from conversations with guests that are not included in the podcast interviews. Plus, there are a range of special building blocks to help you to rebuild your life. So go check it out. And you can join the Growing Rise Up with Tiara's Tears and Triumphs Facebook group with over 400 members where you can troubleshoot issues you're having. Every victim and every survivor of abuse has expertise. And being part of a community of peers gives you a safe place to get answers to questions that you have and to share what you know with others. Again, just go to the episode notes to become a member of the group today. We all go through dark times. When we do, we often feel alone. This is a safe space for you to come and look for some light. I'm a survivor of an abusive relationship and for a long time I had no voice because I was too scared to speak up and speak out about what was happening to me. I couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel, but when I turned a corner in my life, the light started filtering through and I left my old life behind. I am here now to help other women feel seen, heard and valued. I'm reaching out with my light shining on you to help you find your way out of the darkness. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. A note of encouragement. If you are struggling with your mental health, please reach out for support with some form of counselling. 
If you don't know where to start to find a counsellor, a good place to start is to talk with your doctor. There are also many online counselling supports available. And a word of advice, if the counsellor is not a good fit for you, try another. And if you need to, try another until you have one that is the right fit for you. Tune in again for the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast, helping women who have been hurt to heal and grow. Hosted by me, Sandy J. This program provides a safe place to work on inner peace and a strong mindset spells out how to spot the red flags, advises on ways to stay safe and work on effective safety planning, gives tips on how to look after you when things are tough, teaches empowerment strategies, acknowledges life's challenges and explores ways to meet these challenges head on, to go from surviving to rising to striving and finally to thriving. The show includes interviews with other survivors who have come out the other side, who share their stories and insights, as well as interviews with therapists and people working in support roles. I am a survivor and I use my experience and skills to help other women like me. Please listen and be uplifted to rise in this safe space where dignity, kindness and compassion are treasured. And don't forget, if you need some support, I am here for you. I don't want any woman to suffer alone in silence. I don't want any woman to feel oppressed and feel that there is no way out. I want you to know that you can turn a corner. I am a life change facilitator. I help women regain control over their lives. You can find me at sandyj.com.au. Hey now, can you just pause a moment before you go? Because I need you to share your light and leave a review. Can you just take a quick minute to leave a review in iTunes? to let other women know this is a show they can trust. It would mean the world to me if you could help shine a light for someone who can't see the light at the end of their tunnel. I need you to do this for someone else who needs some support and encouragement. If you like this show, please subscribe and you will automatically be updated with future episodes when they are released. And please share this podcast with anyone you know who it might help. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Sending you lots of love and light and above all else, wishing you well. You are brilliant. Keep shining. Stay safe, Sandy.